It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, April 5th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Kelly Reese returns Friday. The California Report explores income pilot programs across California that target a range of groups, like immigrant families who were left out of federal pandemic aid programs or pregnant Black and Pacific Islander parents. And after a look at local news, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza talks with blockbuster filmmaker Colin Trevorrow. Then, Al Stoller is here to fill us in on the complexities of tonight's full moon. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted yesterday to expand a guaranteed income program for an additional 200 former foster youth in the area. It'll provide recipients with $1,000 a month for two years. The California Report's Izzy Bloom has more. The program, called Breathe, launched last year and provides regular, unrestricted cash payments to 1,000 low-income residents who were impacted financially by the pandemic. In the motion set forth by Supervisor Holly Mitchell, she wrote that the expansion will help former foster youth gain financial stability, alleviate stress, and complete deferred schooling. Researchers will also study how guaranteed income affects those and other aspects of participants' well-being. More than 40 guaranteed income pilot programs across the state have already begun, or are planning to launch, according to CalMatters. The programs target a range of groups, like immigrant families who were left out of federal pandemic aid programs, or pregnant Black and Pacific Islander parents. For the California Report, I'm Izzy Bloom. New numbers out from the state show that public school enrollment in California continues to decline. Enrollment for the 2022-23 academic year fell by half of 1%, or about 40,000 students compared to the previous year. Educators are heartened, though, that the student population decline appears to be slowing after big drops during the years of the COVID pandemic. But some education experts caution that the public school student population won't bounce back to its pre-pandemic level, partly because of wider demographic trends. As we've frequently reported, a parade of atmospheric rivers has delivered record-busting levels of rain and snowfall to the San Joaquin Valley and Sierra Nevada. But with all that snow poised to melt in the coming months, communities in the Central Valley floor, which are already grappling with flooding, are bracing for the worst. KVPR's Joshua Yeager reports about worries in the community of Corcoran in Kings County. From his pickup truck, Fernando Estrada sees an ocean of water. But what's in front of him is no sea. The nearest coastline is more than 100 miles away. Instead, beneath the waves gently lapping in front of him are thousands of acres of farmland. And he knows those fields well. Among them are the pomegranate and pistachio orchards he's helped tend to for years as a farm worker. Estrada is witnessing the return of Tulare Lake. I've always heard that that's that Corcoran used to be a lake. You know, it was a myth, a legend, and here it is before our eyes. Estrada is parked on a road south of Corcoran in western Kings County. Here, agriculture and state prisons rule the local economy. Downtown, businesses pay homage to the city's history with names like Lake Bottom Brewery. Tulare Lake was once the largest freshwater lake in the western U.S. 
but it was largely diverted out of existence by the early 1900s. Those diversions meant growers and cities had water supplies, and the region could become an agricultural powerhouse. But now an abundance of water is causing problems of its own for farms here on the lake bed, where much of that water has historically drained. We're just in a drought. We're praying for rain, praying for water, and, you know, it's like that saying that says, you know, be careful what you wish for, because now we're, we got more than what we need now. A series of drenching storms has helped to launch California out of one of its driest periods in history. Parts of the Sierra got nearly three years' worth of snow in about three months, potentially supercharging the lake's growth. Now some Corcoran residents fear the majestic snow-capped peaks have become more like a ticking time bomb, one waiting to explode over the life they have created for themselves on the lake bed. Biblical amounts of water are waiting to gush into already overloaded dams and rivers. That's why Rosie Garza says she purchased a home flood insurance policy as the lake began filling up again. There's a lot of snow up there, and I expect it to start coming down by May, by June. Watch out, here it comes. Garza says a lot of people in Corcoran are scared of what's to come. Buying flood insurance is just one way to protect themselves. But for now, local officials want residents to stay calm. While the city historically has sat on the lake's northeastern shore, city manager Greg Katzka says a levee measuring 188 feet above sea level will protect Corcoran. But the snowmelt could mean the flows become more unpredictable. The height of that water level could potentially breach a, or, or reach or, or overfill a, a levee. He says the city is now looking to retrofit or possibly heighten the Corcoran levee. To provide an extra level of insurance or protection, especially for our uh, state prisons that are located in the south part of town. The state has stepped in to help struggling counties in the southern San Joaquin Valley, who are due for a long duration of snowmelt and more flooding. Carla Nemeth is the director of the state's Department of Water Resources. There's more water in, in the Sierra than um, these facilities can handle, and so we're going to be focused on uh, the best strategies with the counties to, to minimize and, and mitigate uh, flood damage as we move through the season. Confronted with the largest snowpack in the region's history, Corcoran residents are buckling in for a long spring and summer ahead. For the California Report, I'm Joshua Yeager in Corcoran. Legislation introduced in Sacramento this week would create a path to citizenship for hundreds of thousands of undocumented farm workers in California. The proposal from Central Valley State Senator Ana Caballero would establish a pilot program allowing agricultural workers to start the process towards permanent residency. Under the bill, farm workers who've lived in California and worked in agriculture for more than five years would qualify. Federal standards for citizenship would still apply, including a criminal history background check and national security check. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health on the web at chcf.org slash lbca. Paint Care, now with more than 850 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, 
working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, April 5th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In local news, according to UBANET, the Penn Valley Fire Protection District Board voted unanimously to request that the Local Area Formation Commission start annexation proceedings of Rough and Ready Fire Protection District's area. But this is just the first step in what may pan out to be a long journey. Directors considered a revised resolution to start the annexation proceedings after the Board of Rough and Ready Fire voted on March 20th to begin dissolution proceedings. A final vote on that resolution will be scheduled at a later date. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. According to the Sacramento Bee, the weather system is changing quickly. Forecasts that previously predicted mid-70-degree temperatures and sunny skies for the Sacramento area now show rain. From Thursday to Friday, there may be isolated or scattered showers north of I-80, including the foothills and northern Sierra. Craig Shoemaker, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, says that we have an incoming weak weather system. The system, which will drop down across the Pacific Northwest, brings chances of rain to Nevada County and the foothills Thursday night through Sunday. Snow is also likely in the Sierra Thursday night and Friday. Shoemaker says there's a possibility of up to six inches. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 35 degrees. Areas of frost after 1 a.m. Thursday, partly sunny with areas of frost before 8 a.m. and a high near 57. A 50% chance of showers Thursday evening. Thursday night, a 50% chance of showers. Cloudy with a low around 42. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 20 degrees. Thursday, mostly sunny with a high near 45. A 30% chance of snow showers after 11 p.m. New snow accumulation of less than one inch is possible. Thursday night, a slight chance of rain showers before 8 p.m., then a slight chance of rain and snow showers between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., then a chance of snow showers after 11 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a low around 31. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 41 degrees. Thursday, increasing clouds with a high near 67, a 20% chance of showers after 11 p.m. Thursday night, a 20% chance of showers after midnight. Cloudy with a low around 51. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Nevada County has a strong connection to the craft of filmmaking, and the bond grows each year. In 2020, the Nevada City Film Festival was named the third best festival in the U.S. by USA Today. The next segment will be of particular interest to local film buffs. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza spoke with blockbuster writer and director Colin Trevorrow. I'm joined now by filmmaker Colin Trevorrow, known for many films including 2012's Safety Not Guaranteed and 2022's Jurassic World Dominion. Colin, thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me. Colin, I'd like to start by asking you about the trajectory of your career. When did you realize that you wanted to be a filmmaker? I was one of those kids uh, in the late 80s who was running around with uh, a really oversized video camera initially that you had to carry almost a a briefcase alongside it that had a – 
videotape in it uh, making movies. And, and, and we would shoot on VHS and then we would have to go and, and edit between uh, two VHS recorders. You press play on one and record on the other to make an edit. And then when once you did that, you couldn't go back and change your edit. So a lot of young people today are used to you know, being able to, to second guess one of their choices. Uh, we didn't have that. So the, the, whatever cut we made uh, was it. And that's where it all began. Do you remember what your first film was about? Uh, yeah, it was, it was in, it was, it was kind of nonsense. They were all nonsense, but, um, that particular one involved, uh, a guy at the very end who had already been in, in an accident and, and it was in crutches and had had a hard time over the course of the movie and then went, walked into the middle of the street and was hit by a second car. And, uh, we had, uh, my buddy, Joe Penrod, his dad drove down the street, uh, in their Jeep Cherokee. Uh, and we had made a dummy that we put out there in crutches that we stood up in the middle of the street and he hit this thing real hard. And I always felt really terrible because the woman across the street who you just sent her son out to play tennis and assumed uh, that that was him in the middle of the street. And there's a scream that you hear from her in the movie, you're in the background. And I've always felt terrible. So if, if she happens to listen to this, I'm sorry. I apologize again. What are you working on now? Can you tell me about anything that's in the works? Um, I'm working on a few things. Um, I'm One of those things is uh, a movies about Atlantis. I'm, I'm really into Atlantis. It's always been something I've been fascinated with, but not, you know, some underwater magical place with, you know, tridents and stuff, but our actual first civilization as if we all did this once before and there was a radio station there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they had vehicles and, you know, and animals and, and weapons and all the stuff that we have and politics. And, uh, and then it all fell into the sea, you know, a great disaster that no one could have uh, expected uh, befell this civilization, as I think we all fear sometimes, you know, one might befall our own. So I'm uh, I'm creating uh, characters and a story within that world. And it's something that's been really invigorating. That's exciting. I've also read that you and your writing partner, uh, Derek Connolly. Yeah. You guys were tapped for the remake of Flight of the Navigator. It's true. Which is sure. like the original is one of my favorite movies, especially as a kid. It's still in my top 100. Where is that? I know exactly where it is. I, just because I, I still, um, my friend Bryce Dallas Howard is attached to direct that movie, and she's been working with writers on it. And we're probably not supposed to talk about it, but we do talk about it. And, and I love uh, hearing her take on it and where she wants to go with it. And uh, we, that was at a time when you know the opportunity to just write a screenplay for something uh, as as kids who grew up uh, during that era. Um, it was very personal, and and I that was early in the days of of me navigating uh, the rough waters of of doing new versions of the things that we love, uh, and and uh, a whole generation that I'm a part of. I'm 46 now, and uh, those of us who grew up uh, specifically during the 80s uh, hold uh, the movies that we saw during that time very close to our hearts. Uh, it's it really is. Uh, it's almost uh, a belief system, some of it. Uh, and I think that stories and myths uh, can become that and they have become that historically and they've 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 helped people you know move forward in their lives and given them something to believe in. And I think just because those stories were told very recently in our history, we can't imagine that those will have that same impact. But I do think they they have and they will. I think that Star Wars and 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 I think now Marvel for a generation, Harry Potter, and all these myths, uh, really are are becoming something that uh, generation after generation uh, believe in. So you started with VHS, but one of your first successes is Home Base, sure, which, which was online. Yeah. How do you think the internet has shaped Hollywood or or the industry in general? Uh, well, just the ability to have 
anything that ever existed at any given moment in time available to you is something that's only been true for what the past eight or nine years, it's really recent in human history. Sure. And so you've got to, you know, my kids uh, have grown up in a world where it, there's just, you know, there's everything right there. And we had this sense of anticipation when something was coming out that we heard about. It was like a mystery and you saw the ad in the newspaper and you waited in line for it and you saw it. And then when it was done, it went away and you might not ever be able to see it again. And so there was just this sense of everything uh, being an event uh, that I that I do miss. And whenever it happens, uh, it's very exciting just to be able to try and manufacture that for kids, that sense of an event and uh, them telling their parents, I got to go see this thing or even you know, people my age feeling like I got to go out of the house, which I don't do that often, <laughs> and see this thing. That's my new challenge. Can I, can I give you a reason to come out of the house? Colin, as you know, there's a film festival here and there's a lot of aspiring filmmakers. Before I let you go, what would you say to aspiring filmmakers today? Any words of wisdom? You know, honestly, I, I feel like we're at a similar moment um, to the late 60s, early 70s in Hollywood where the people running the show uh, don't really know what the young audience wants anymore. Uh, they they try to figure it out and everyone is, is kind of remaking new versions of things that have worked before in an attempt to grab this new audience. But what happened then is that a new generation of young filmmakers who knew what they wanted to watch came up and they told all that older generation, here's what they want to see. Just let us do this stuff. And I feel like there's a need for that right now. So if you're a filmmaker and you feel like you know uh, what your generation wants to see, I promise you, nobody else does. So... (laughs) Get out there and 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 make stuff and and make your voice heard because because there is an opportunity in this moment. Colin, it's been a delight. Thanks, Thank man. you. Absolutely. You can listen to the full version of this interview on our website at kvmr.org or on the KVMR News podcast. Tonight brings a full moon, and while that sight might catch your eye on its own, you may find it even more interesting after learning about what exactly a full moon involves. Up next, KVMR's Al Stoller will provide you with several reasons to gaze up at the night sky tonight. When the sky grows dark at night, you look up and see stars all over. Here a star, there a star, everywhere a star star. Set up a telescope, look more closely, and we see that some of those stars are actually doubles. They come in pairs. What looked to the eye like a single star is actually two stars circling around each other. Look more closely yet with a more powerful scope or with other instruments, and we see that the majority of stars are doubles, even triples. There must be something about the star-forming process, something about the way stars are born, that favors making stars in pairs. Not so for the planet-making process, at least judging by the planets in our solar system. Among all the planets circling the sun, we find just one and only one double planet. Just one planet comprised of two bodies, nearly the same size, orbiting around each other. The one and only one double planet in the solar system is our own planet Earth. Earth and her moon comprise a double planet. Earth and her moon, both roughly the same size, circling each other as both circle the sun. Anytime you've got two objects so close in size and so close together, Those objects have got to have a serious influence on one another. And we do. Perhaps most obvious, Earth is somewhat larger than the moon, and our greater gravity has tamed the moon, such that she can never turn away from us. 
The moon always shows the same face to earth, come full moon, as occurs tonight in just a few hours, and the man in the moon will once again look across space toward us. Not that the moon cannot likewise pull earth into line. The moon is, indeed, smaller than earth, but her gravitational pull is still obvious in the tides, and not just ocean tides, but land tides, too. With the moon overhead, both the seas and the land, the rock, stretch upward. And that pull, that stretching upward of water and rock, slows down our spin. Some billions of years from now, our spin will have slowed so much, Earth will always show the same face to the moon. And the moon's pull does more, like a ball of pizza dough that the pizza chef has just started spinning. He's spinning the dough to stretch it out flat. Like a ball of dough the chef has just started spinning, the spinning earth also stretches out. Earth bulges at the belt line, and that bulge gives the moon something to pull on. The moon thus puts a wobble into our spin, one of several wobbles that, when they all combine, send planet Earth into a long, deep age of ice, an ice age roughly every hundred thousand years. Maybe the moon does more. Planet Mars has two tiny moons. No way would you call Mars a double planet. And Mars has a problem. Mars cannot seem to remain upright. From time to time, over many thousands of years, Mars falls over onto its side, and that seriously disrupts the Martian climate. To the extent that Mars grows glaciers, thick layers of ice, on its equator. According to some calculations, it is Earth's moon that stabilizes Earth, stabilizes our climate, by preventing us from tipping over. This idea of the moon acting as a stabilizer, though, is controversial. It depends on how you do the calculations. Perhaps the biggest difference between Earth and Moon is that Earth is alive. Earth hosts living organisms. But Earth is sort of alive in another way, too. Plate tectonics keeps our surface moving about, keeps it ever-changing. Continents break apart. They move here and there, and then they collide. The history of a planet is written in its rocks, and when rocks collide, much of that history is erased. Yet more of our history is lost when plate tectonics sucks rocks downward into the belly of the earth. We have little history, very little evidence of what happened on earth in its first half billion years. The moon, though, has no plate tectonics. Rocks on the moon's surface are way older than any rocks we find on earth. And so the moon preserves a history of the neighborhood going way back toward the beginning. Astronauts will soon be heading back to the moon for a longer stay this time, long enough to do some geology this time, to look for rocks that hold the history of Earth's first half billion years. I'll talk more about the moon and about other things too, tomorrow night at 6.30 on soundings. The moon tonight will be exactly full at 9.34. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, April 5th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from Sierra View Medical Eye Incorporated, serving eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract, and glaucoma evaluations, also treating diseases of the eye. 
on Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley, online at svme2020.com. Thanks for listening and have a great night. I'm Julia Jem.